The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Summer Sibley Brown filling in for Neville James. As host of Analyze This, WTJX 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. And it is an exciting and fabulous Friday. Just had a great conversation with Dr. Brittany Dawson. Has me energized talking about women's health um, in a way that I feel was really unique. If Neville was here, he'd be like nuanced. You know, that was his word <laughs> for the past two weeks. Nuanced. We're going to find a new one when he come back. But it was a really good conversation and it led into a little bit about like policy and voting and and how those actual things actually connect like something as simple as like women's health being a reason you should come out and vote right we took we took the long way but i think it hopefully it was a worthwhile conversation. And in our second hour, I told y'all we're going to have some peoples in the house. So we have Jen Lulis of Synchro Environmental Association and Frandel Gerard of Crucian Heritage and Nature Tourism online. And by the way, Frandel, don't get mad this morning. I was stumbling to say what chant was. And I was like, oh my gosh, morning, Frandel. Good morning. How are you? I am fine. Morning, Jen. Good morning. So I am excited to have um, these two powerhouse nonprofits and leaders and women. So it seems like today is like a Women's Friday um, on with me in our I'm going to put a disclaimer out there in our regular lives. I am a nonprofit partner. Um, <laughs> we're part of an environmental sector together. And so we do work together all the time. So this feels very familiar and today I'm putting on my host hat, right? So I'm going to be asking them a lot of questions and trying my best not to jump in. Um, and the first thing I would want to do is for those who may not know what C or chant is and does to just give each of you, you know, some time to introduce yourself. And I'll start with you, Jen. Please tell us what is Synchro Environmental Association? What's their mission? What's the vision? Thank you. Um, I love to tell everyone about C. Um, so C, which is short for St. Croix Environmental Association, is a small nonprofit organization. Um, we were founded in 1986, so we've been around for a little while. Um, and our overall mission is to support and advocate for the environment of St. Croix. Um, and to be clear, the environment includes people, it includes air, it includes water, it includes the wildlife, it includes the forests. It's kind of all-encompassing, so it's a big job. And we do this, uh, we have three pillars that we work on. Um, our pillars are education, 
conservation and advocacy. So we do everything from field trips and teaching uh, people of all ages to snorkel. We do a lot of tree planting. In fact, after the studio here, I'm going out to plant a bunch of trees. Um, and we also do advocacy. Um, and advocacy is a broad, broad topic as well. And it what we do with advocacy is really respond to the needs of the community. So sometimes it's outreach and, um, you know, commenting on bills and helping um, support legislation. Sometimes it's advocating for better practices. And sometimes it's, you know, I don't like using the word watchdog, but it's making sure that the businesses and, you know, people who are working in St. Croix are are considering the environment and not damaging it. All right. Thank you so much. Frandell, please let the people of St. Croix know what chat does. Good morning, everyone. And I should um, say people out of Virgin Islands assessing Croix. <laughs> I meant the Virgin Islands. Chance, <laughs> um, uh, the acronym for Heritage Tourism. Uh, we were founded officially in 2007, but the work uh, to, that resulted in the establishment began. You're breaking up a little bit, Frandel. How's this? Better? Much better. Okay. We were founded in uh, officially in 2007, uh, but the out of it came out of work that began in 2000 with a group of Virgin Islanders uh, working to protect uh, an established uh, Maroon Ridge Sanctuary Park. Um, so we're founded to really uh, protect, preserve, promote inclusion uh, heritage, uh, our natural and built resources. And the tourism piece was really to have Virgin Islanders, especially Prussians, become uh, a, a meaningful part of a sustainable tourism renaissance. And we've grown uh, that mission to include providing uh, training and uh, working with youth and working to uh, preserve our historic um, areas of the towns that are uh, some of the oldest historically black, free black communities. Um, so we have a you know a broad broad scope, uh, and we enjoy uh, I enjoy working with uh, my other partners in the uh, nonprofit consortium. So you know, I am one of those other partners in the nonprofit consortium. So I want to, I want to, you know, shout out the care and concern and joy I find um, working with you both. And I also want to let you know, I want to ask the question: What is the work of um, the nonprofit consortium environmental sector? If you were to kind of sum up what it is you, as three independent organizations, who through um, the nonprofit consortium have become a sector for built and natural environment, um, working together for a few years now. What is your synopsis of what is it we're doing together? I think, you know, as, as I mentioned, the environment is very broad. And so it's kind of, um, 
by nature and you know necessity you kind of have to focus on certain aspects of the environment and i think each of us brings a different perspective on you know the um, needs of the environment the threats to the environment and how um, we all interact with it and that has been so powerful i think it's brought a lot of depth to our environmental work and not to mention we all have great perspectives and you know we're all from very small nonprofits and so a lot of times we kind of sit in our offices or at our desks or at our computers with ideas in our brains and you know it gives us an opportunity to hash those out and say well actually you know from summer's perspective the farmers are actually feeling this too um you know one of the things we've talked about a lot is our water issues and that's something that affects you know nature it affects our drinking water it affects the water we need for for farming and so it you know it gives us almost turns us into a think tank um mm-hmm. and an action tank as well <laughs> um and you know it also gives us the ability to have a bigger more powerful voice uh, when joined together. Frandell? All, all, I totally agree with everything that, that Jen said. Um, and, and I think one of the, the critical pieces that the consortium uh, provides is the collaborative uh, voice so that when we speak, we know that we are not standing alone, um, that we are not only representing each other's organizations, but also the stakeholders of those organizations and the communities that those organizations work with. So, you know, who would think that um, a nature tourism organization and a food uh, sovereignty organization and a, and an environmental organization uh, could come together, you know, with on on issues that we all agree on, that we all work together to uh, elevate the issues and the voices. Um, so it it provides us with, I just think a. a a degree of of comfort in knowing that uh, we're advocating for large a large portion of our community, and we are not standing alone. So I'm gonna jump in with you know, and we're gonna probably end up on a break in between this question, but I think because we should just name it one of the first place. So we've been working together for quite some time. The nonprofit consortium is well established. We've been a sector for really how five, five years, five years. Yes. We've been a sector for about five, six years, right? So for five, six years, we've been at a table getting to know each other, working for each other. But the first time the public probably had seen us together was when we came out to talk about, um, health impacts to people after the incidents with the refinery. So I want to I want to give you all a chance to talk about why um, we thought it was necessary. And I'm and I'm not I'm trying my best not to jump in and answer the questions because <laughs> like I am playing as neutral as I can host right. So I just want to name that disclaimer for everyone listening. But I would really love for 
um, Frandel, from your perspective, why it was critical that we came out in this way, and then Jen, for you to talk about it, because that's the first time people probably heard us say we were a sector. Right, and and I think it was important uh, that the community saw that we were working collaboratively. Um, and and we stood up as a sector with uh, as advocates for the people and the environment. Not only was that you know did we do the health survey, it was a health and environmental survey. Um, and and you know timing is everything. We had previously had town hall meetings that were scheduled to you know discuss what was going on with the opening of the refinery um, that, you know, days before the scheduled town hall, there was a horrific incident at the refinery. And we were catapulted into the public eye because the convening allowed for, you know, the people to hear directly from both the federal and local government um, uh units that are responsible for, uh, you know, the regulation of, of the refinery. Um, so we then realized uh, with everything that was going on that the civic sector had to take the lead, um, one, to gather data, and two, to advocate at the federal level uh, for response to what we were seeing and the data you know, proved what we were seeing on the ground because we're the only source of credible data in terms of the health and environmental impact uh, that was done locally. So um, when, I want to highlight that um, because when you say we are the only source of credible data. There's someone listening saying, "What are they? What 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 does that mean?" Right. So when you say when you say that, f- frame it for them. Why would you say we're the only source of credible data? Because we're the only ones that have worked, you know, and we work collaboratively with Dr. David Bond and uh, Bennington College. Um, we're the only ones that went out door to door, collected data, and posted the data. And where the data is available publicly and to the world. Our Department of Health didn't do that. Department of Planning and Natural Resources didn't do that. Vitima didn't do that. There was no public health response from our local government offices. There was no public health response from the CDC or the National Institute of Health. Or so. So in terms of documenting the health impact of those incidences on the people of St. Croix, the frontline communities, and the communities downwind, the most reliable data and the largest set of data was collected by the nonprofit consortium and Bennington University, um, literally doing door-to-door, standing out in front of grocery stores and bakeries, and, and also you know, an online um, survey uh, that that paints the picture of what happened to people and their pets and their farms and their land. Um, and when you overlay out 
you know, what EPA data says with our data, it, you know, it all lines up. Um, but we really took the lead where, oh gosh, I'm not getting in trouble, but where local government failed or did not have the capacity to do it because, you know, it was also in the middle of COVID and all of that. Um, so that's what I mean. So I, I, I do think that what you are representing is factual. You could, you know, a person can look back. You know, this is NPR. This is Analyze This. If you want to, you can go to the Bennington College website. You can see the data. If you want to, you can look at the newspaper articles, look at the timeline, and you can track to see what the responses are. If you want to, you could call your government entities and you could call them, right? So I hopefully it's not a place where we get in trouble because what you're saying is actually easily, you know, that's not your opinion. The things that you just said are things that people can fact check, right? And we encourage that fact check for yourself um, to consider what is what is our response to man-made emergency um, when it comes from a specific industry in the Virgin Islands? And it may be one that you agree with um, for capacity reasons. You know, like you as an individual could critically think about that on your own, or you may have challenges, questions, or concerns that you want to bring forward. So I hope, I hope as the listening audience hears this, you know, you're taking information and say, hey, I want to know more about that. Um, and you seek it. Jen, what was that, you know, Frandell talked about being underground, grassroots. Um, you said there's an A for advocacy in the work that you do. What was, what was that experience like for you? Oh, wow. Um, it, it was, it was very different. You know, my from my own personal experience. So I'm actually a wildlife biologist by training. And so um, our data collection tends to be along the lines of, you know, looking at turtles and wildlife. And so, um, but it, it was really, uh, I learned so much about what we didn't know um, really in this situation, you know, not, not to keep harping on the data, but Every time we went to ask for a response from a regulatory agency or from, uh, you know, cleanup or health or what do we do in this situation, um, they said, well, give us the data. How many people are, are impacted? What's the extent of the impact? Um, you should have that information. What was released from the refinery? None of that was there. And so... Um, whether or not we were the people who were supposed to be doing that, we did do that. And, you know, as Frandell said, this is, um, this is the information that exists. But the other part of that, and again, I urge people to check out the website at Bennington because we talked one-on-one -on -one with a lot of people and they gave us their personal experiences, their lived experiences with the issues around the refinery. So we're going to prepare to go to a break at the top of the nine o'clock hour. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what the data with award-winning documentaries and specials, the BBC World Service brings you in-depth reporting and unique perspectives. Programs with a distinctive global flavor from the BBC World Service. Starting at 2 a.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1. Funding for the BBC World Service comes from First Bank. First Bank's digital bank offers check deposits, bill pay, transfers, and more from anywhere 24-7. More at onefirstbank.com.
El sistema de elecciones de las Islas Vírgenes lo está haciendo más fácil para que tú formes parte de nuestro equipo por medio de nuestro programa de voluntarios. Estamos en busca de personas buenas como tú que puedan proveer a cada votante el apoyo que necesitan para que efectivamente puedan participar en el proceso de votación. Puede comenzar recogiendo y completando la aplicación para voluntarios de cualquiera de nuestras oficinas en el territorio. Usted puede servir como monitor. También tienes la opción de convertirte en un facilitador, asegurando que los votantes que están votando por primera vez, los envejecientes y la comunidad de deshabilitados puedan votar con confidencia y acertadamente. Si tienes el tiempo y estás dispuesto a servir, hay un lugar para ti. Solo inscríbete. Si quieres más información, llama al 340-773-1021. Y recuerda, el votar no es solo su derecho, es lo correcto hacer. The VI Energy Office and the University of the Virgin Islands Caribbean Green Technology Center are hosting the first VI Energy Fair. There will be outdoor live demonstrations, interactive workshops, and leaders from the community will be on site to discuss what the territory is doing to reduce energy costs. The fair will be held at the UVI campuses from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on St. Thomas on October 15th and on St. Croix on October 30th. For more information about the energy fair, cgtc-usvi.org forward slash energy dash fair. back from our short break you are listening to analyze this i am summer sibley brown and i am joined in studio by jen valulis executive director of synchro environmental association and frandel gerard um executive director of crucian heritage and nature tourism and we're talking about before the break we're just kind of going over like what their missions are and what and what they do and, and what they're charged to do um and working together in an environmental sector that you know kind of stood up in a big advocacy moment right and that ad advocacy moment was the incidents that happened at the refinery and we were you know jen you were in the middle of kind of talking about the different not kind of talking about the difference between what you do as a researcher and the type of data that you collect to this time really collecting people-centered data mm -hmm. and you were you're telling us about the some of the stories that you heard right um so in talking to people there were a really shocking stories about how people had been affected by the refinery, both long-term and short-term. And there were a couple of messages that stood out. Um, in some cases, people were not even interested in filling out the survey or talking to us because um, because they said nothing, nothing could be done. Nobody's listening. This has been happening for decades and there's nothing we can do. We don't have power. And so we, this is where we kind of tried to emphasize that we were here to give voice to people. This was the whole point of it. It wasn't, the data was to show and elevate the community's voices and experiences. Um, so that said, we do have some quotes from people um, about, from, from the survey, um, about what they experienced. Um, there were people who said the inside of our home was filled with visible dense fog that hung on everything. Um, 
someone else said every single day was difficult to breathe. It was as if we were inhaling oil with each breath. Someone was commenting on their health issues and said since that time, so the time of the, um, the startup of the refinery, I'm not okay. My body won't work. I have trouble standing up, walking. I can't get my balance. I keep getting sick. My immune system doesn't work. Um, and this is, this is just a small sampling of the quotes. Um, and so, it, as I said, people kind of felt like, okay, well, this, this is what we have to live with here. And that was absolutely unacceptable. Um, and so, these survey results are, are such, they're data that we can analyze, but they're also a record of what happened and people's experiences. And moving forward, we really, really don't want this to continue to happen. We don't want people to have to go through this again. So let me, I'm a, I'm a, I won't say devil's advocate, right? But I'm, I'm going to ask two questions. What have you, and Frendel, you could jump in. That was, that happened. Um, you stood up, you were visible, conducted stories, um, shared hopefully some of that data with people, you know, um, did grassroots work. What have you been doing since, right? For the people and listening saying, well, okay, y'all did that, but we haven't heard you. We haven't seen you. Where have you been? Well, um, well, so first of all, devils, this is a very complicated issue. And so playing devil's advocate is actually a really important part of what we do, again, in, as the consortium, is that we, we examine all the sides. Um, so what we have done has really been to follow up on the survey and on, you know, what happened last year. There are still plenty of people who don't have clean cisterns anymore. Um, you know, if you've driven by Kmart West or um, I think Sunny Isle, there were distribution, water distribution um, on a regular basis for, you know, for the last year. And so these issues that happened last year, although the refinery hasn't been operating, the damage is still there and has not been um, corrected or mitigated. And so we have been trying to follow up with um, health agencies, um, NIH and so on to have them examine, you know, more in depth what we found in the survey, you know, what, what really were the health issues and what could have caused them, what kind of pollutants were released. Randall? Well, in a you know, in addition to that, <clears throat> we've you know we've been uh, meeting regularly with the EPA. Um, we have applied and been awarded a grant uh, to stand up a citizen science program so that uh, we can begin uh, assessing the soil primarily because that's the only thing that's still holding um, the contaminants but also to establish community-based um, air and wa air water and soil uh, testing capacity uh, we've just gotten that notice at the beginning of October that the grant's been awarded so we'll be standing that up working collaboratively as the consortium uh, with UVI and then with our uh, major high school environmental uh, science and science programs. Um, and and we've been advocating, you know, meeting. We, we actually petitioned the CDC to uh, 
come in and, and do an assessment, and unfortunately, they have not responded. Um, so, you know, we're, we're in constant communication, you know, within the, our network here, but also with the national regulatory um, agencies. So, you know, I think um, what I will say is in our work, right, there's a portion of the work that's invisible, and then there's a portion of the work that's visible. And so in the invisibility, you all have been continuing your advocacy, continuing building relationships, because the primary reason I'm hearing is that there are people who are still not served, right? Um, There are people who still have not received relief assistance, remediation from the first impact. So then another difficult question I want to ask, um, and I'll start with you, Frandel, is when you heard that there was potentially or there was smoldering in a coker in mm. in the refinery, what did that do to you specifically individually? Because you both live in Frederickstead. Mm-hmm. So you, you both were among the impacted. I live in Christianstead. I am not a person who was impacted by that incident, right? So you both live in Frederickstead. So what did that mean for you personally as an individual? Um, and what did that mean for the advocacy that you all were continuing to do, but primarily was invisible to the public? You know, personally it's sort of it's it's that what's next you know and unfortunately the report that we got this last week kind of suggests what could be next um you know how much more are are we supposed to accept um and you know i i found out about the fire before it went public and you know there was there was also that element, which is that it wasn't public knowledge um, uh, for a few days. Um, and you know why why was that information not readily available? Why didn't we know what the risks were? You know, and Google only Google can 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 sometimes make it worse because when I googled, you know putting out a cocoa fire, the first thing they said is don't put water on it. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, why not? And, you know, it, there's all kind of scientific data, but, you know, supposedly it can create even more of a problem. Um, so so it was then again, you know, reaching out to, to the federal agency. Did you know this was happening? And they didn't know, you know, that we are the ones that are, you know, getting information, getting it, to, to EPA and, and then EPA is like, okay, we'll check it out. Um, so we've become sort of that watchdog, um, you know, as information comes in, making sure that it gets to the right regulatory people that, that have the capacity to, to respond. Um, so it's, it's, sort of this this ongoing saga and I have to say you know I might pivot the conversation a little bit um, that that this latest report that the EPA issued um, I guess they sent it to Port Hamilton on uh, on the 13th if memory serves me correctly um, it took me about 24 hours to say okay it's Serious, but then to start looking up 
some of the terms that were being used and dig mm-hmm. deeper into this three-page document that they released, or four-page document. I might be wrong. It might be more pages than that. Um, to realize that as bad as we know it is, as, as much as has occurred uh, when they attempt by Lime Tree to reopen the processing at that refinery was. It's worse. You know, I I I I went into full blown panic yesterday when I started researching what could happen uh, if this um, if if there was a major incident uh, with with the ammonia, the anhydrous ammonia that's on site. It's frightening. Um, And could devastate large swaths of our community, of our our island. Um, And, and, you know, somebody might say, well, you're overreacting. Well, no. You know, if the thing ignites, if it blows up, that's the worst case scenario. Um, if it leaks, you know, people in the immediate area, you know, and, and surrounding communities would, would be minimally affected with, with, you know, damage to their respiratory system or they could die. Um, and, and I looked at, at, at the papers today and it's not headlines. You know, I'm, I haven't seen the print papers, but, you know, the online papers, this isn't a headline. Um, so I want, a- I want to encourage people to do their own research, though, right? Like the what you did in terms of looking up the words, in terms of looking up the potential, people don't, you know, people don't have to take Frandell's word for it, right? You said you spent yesterday diving into to your own your own research so you could critically think about what you read. The report is available. And people have the right to do that and then come up with their own positioning of how much alarm or not alarm they're in or, or even to ask questions. And as the time goes, I, Jen, I want to ask, this is going to, I mean, this going to feel like throw under the bus question, but I'm going to do it because there are listeners who, who are probably asking, right? What about the people who think that this conversation is anti-economic development and that the, you know, that we or you don't you're not progressive in the ways in which you're thinking the refinery is already there it's a tool we know there's a demand for oil um yeah what is your take on this is good economic development or trying to stop it is 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 against economic development well i would actually argue that we are kind of we are progressive um in that we're definitely not anti-economic development i live here my, you know, this is my home. Um, I need to, I, I want to live in a community that has um, strength and a strong economy. I think the, what we're talking about here though is at this economic development of the refinery or e- economy of the refinery comes at such a great cost at this point um, that we should be looking to other other avenues um the you know the um what 
because the the 2040, the document that the EDA um, Vision, 2040. Vision 2040, that's what it was, um, has a lot of topic areas, a lot of uh, avenues that we can go um, that I think make a lot more sense that are not going to cause wide health effects that are not going to put us um, in danger of catastrophic explosions and oil raining down on our homes. Um, and, you know, yes, the world needs oil right now, but it's moving away from it. You know, one of the fastest growth areas in jobs is actually an alternative energy um, the alternative energy sector, so solar and wind. And so it seems like if we are really wanting long-term economic strength, that we should look at the long-term solutions. I know that that means that there's going to be a little pain right now, um, and it's going to take a lot of work to get there. But, um, you know, the pain that we feel right now, there's going to be pain either way. You know, if the refinery is in such terrible shape as this inspection report says, it's going to take a lot of work to get it, a lot of work and a lot of money to get it to a place where it can function so that it doesn't put us in danger. So why don't we put that energy and work and money into changing that space and changing our economy to something a lot more sustainable? I... Frandell, you and, said, go ahead, Frandell. Well, well, and and you know, when we talk about economic development, um, the restart of a fifty-year-old refinery, um, where there's a claim that four billion dollars was pumped into the facility, but really that's that's the money that the hedge fund guys raised. Um, you know, it, what what's the economic benefit that we've reached so far? And at what point do we recognize that failing infrastructure actually um, damages our future? Uh, what We're on one hand trying to sell the islands as, and St. Croix as a cultural heritage and natural place uh, for uh, tourism. Uh, and on the other hand, saying it's okay to destroy the very things that we claim are important to our tourism industry. Um, so, so we have to have the balance. And I think at this stage in the game, where do we continue doing the same things, expecting a different result? So we're going to uh, take a break talking about doing the same things and expecting a different result. Frondell, I promise I will hold that point and we will pick up. This is Summer Sibley Brown, WTJX 93.1. for your business. At Bank of St. Croix, our mobile apps provide access to business accounts on the go, and our merchant card services accept credit and debit payments anywhere, anytime. Plus, the online banking platform means your bank is always open. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, 
one in Gallows Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. BankofStCroix.com. What does the 50th anniversary of Title IX mean? It means I'm valued. I'm empowered. I can do anything. It means I'll pave the way for every girl who plays high school sports in the future. Just like every female student, coach, official, and administrator blazed the trail for me. Because every student deserves the opportunity to play. Encourage girls you know to participate in high school sports. This message presented by the NFHS and the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Good morning, neighbor. I see you got your bumper stickers and your sign up only. Yes, I'm so ready for this election season. Me too. Just waiting for the info on the polling places and then ballots. What polling places? You mean voting centers? The election system is using voting centers this year, where you can go anywhere across the island, walk in, fill out a ballot. Just bring your ID. Really? Because my daughter lives in Tutu, but walk all the way by the airport and would try to run back home before the sun goes down to vote. Nope. You're no longer stuck to just your neighborhood on election day. Voting centers mean you can vote anywhere in your district. And the next time, try the early voting option too. Skip the line altogether on election day. Girl, you have all the good tips this year, man. So, who's going to win? Ha! Read my yard sign. Then pick any voting center. Just remember, voting is not just your right. It's, it's the, the right, right thing, thing to do. A message from the election system of the Virgin Islands. we are back back on analyze this talking to jen valulis and Frandel gerard and we're talking um about we're talking about advocacy and industry and and the environmental sector and and people working together um to to make change and to stand up things that may be missing in our community and we're talking about health um wellness and impacts to to community citizens not you know not having services and what we need to do and Frandell, you ended you were talking about and i want to lead you right where you were you were saying insanity is is doing the same thing and expecting a different result right so i want you to finish up that comment and really talking about what is a future result you would hope that would happen well, you know, we've been investigating and, and really researching what what does a Superfund site look like? Um, and for those, you know, who who want more details, you know, the EPA website is filled with information about Superfund sites. Um, Superfund sites look like the, the, you know, a lot of... Um, jobs, a lot of opportunities for the reclamation and reuse of contaminated sites. And certainly that refinery site is that. We're talking about thousands of jobs, if not um, over a long period of time, because dismantling, remediating the environmental damage um, takes a long time and a lot of work. Um, and the repurposing. I mean, some of some of our contaminated South Shore industrial area can't be used for very much. 
Um, but it could be a solar field. It could be a location for um, the creation of a of an of a alternative um, distribution site for for energy. Um, you know, how do we use resources that are there and working? We know they have a desal plant. Um, we know there's a power plant. Um, you know, the, the, the opportunities are endless in terms of creating uh, a new sustainable um, industry that does not have the adverse health and environmental impacts of petroleum refining on an island this size. Um, so, so there's, it's, it's, it's stepping away from that comfort zone that so many politicians, uh, and, 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 and residents have gotten into that, that this is the bank, you know, this is the engine that has funded the government of the Virgin Islands for 50 years. Um, you know, now, now we have to look at what other mechanisms can we create to replace that lost revenue? Um, and, and that will be sustainable, that will help us to make sure that St. Croix is livable uh, for our children and their children over the course of the next 50 years. You know, for me, I, I see this um, as both... Um, an economic disaster and an environmental disaster and in my personal experience in advocate and a health disaster um and in my personal experience advocating for the health disaster and the environmental disaster um made people think that i was oblivious to the economic disaster and more than one thing can be true and those none of those things should be competing priorities not you know like not people yeah. shouldn't have to think about how i keep a roof over my house my head how i send my daughter and my son to school how i feed myself but people also shouldn't have to think about how i breathe how i can i can i drink this water can i bathe in this water will i be safe and people shouldn't have to think is there something in the soil that i'm growing food in right like all there is no competing priority these are three i mean of the highest priorities in our in our small community that um many have dubbed including the epa as an environmental justice um community and so we talked a little bit about the future and Frandell, you said looking at the direction of a super fund, understanding what that is, understanding the role it could play in addressing future health crises, future environmental crises, but really tackling the piece of the economic disaster. Is there a role that a super fund could play in that and looking at job creation and repurposing so people don't feel displaced? That's what I heard you say. I wanna I wanna talk to you all about we are here today at present um, discussing as a community the potential restart of the refinery. And so the, you know, the health concerns may still exist. The environmental concerns still exist. And Lord knows the economic concerns also still exist, right? Because it's not at the same scale. What are we doing at present, Jen, to kind of be, be in community still? Mm-hmm. Well, I am so glad you asked, Summer. We have a, a program 
uh, or organization through C called No One is an Island. Um, and this is a group that uh, sort of started off with a community organizing training for environmental justice this summer. And some of the participants from that training are now part of this No One is an Island coalition. And it's really, it's open to anyone who wants to come and give a voice. And we talk about some of the environmental justice issues uh, that are happening on St. Croix and what we can do about it. What is what what are potential solutions what are our goals in hopefully solving these issues and and what are our tools um, we've had an amazing leader Jade Algorin who is unfortunately leaving us but um, she has helped us understand what tools are at our disposal to make the community's voice heard so it's really um, it's a community-led effort it's people who show up and identify the issues and identify what they want to do about it using their um, their talents and their skills and their voice. Um, and so I would invite anyone who wants to come. We are meeting tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock um, at the tent at the Ag Fairgrounds. Um, again, everyone is welcome and we would love to uh, see you there and hear your voice. Um, I think you all, I just want to highlight because you all also did some more canvassing, right? Right. Yes. Um, so one of the actions that we identified was that people just don't know what to do if they smell something, feel something, hear something. Um, and so we just two weeks ago uh, walked around the neighborhoods of uh, Clifton Hill and Profit and distributed information about the EPA hotline. So this is an active hotline that you can either call or email if you have an environmental concern. And it's not specific to the refinery. Um, there could be other, there are other issues um, that may cause, uh, cause someone to, um, to be harmed. And so mm -hmm. I'm really glad that you said that because I think um, it when we have this discussion at the time now, the largest the largest issue at hand or the priority issue at hand because of the incidents last year have been the refinery. But this group is not just about the refinery. It's, it's not a it, you know, it has not been established. The environmental sector is not a, was not established to be against refining it is really for it's really for making sure that people are safe so mm -hmm. i just you know that's i you really i'm trying to do the dance of like i want to say all the things <laughs> and so that's one of the things i wanted to say um and go back in host mode you, you can change hats you know I can change hats. I can change hats. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask another really, I think it's a common sentiment that I hear and it's a difficult one. Um, what about the people who think that the environmental conversation is just about, you know, turtles and trees and, and, and it doesn't really, it has never been represented by Virgin Islanders and it is something that has been brought here by people who choose here as a home and um, that this conversation really isn't us. It's a, it's it's a when I say us, I'm talking about me, Summer, a native Virgin Islander. Um, what what about? Because there, I've heard those comments, so I'm just bringing it up on the air. Like, what about the people who say that? What are your views? Right. Well, um, well you know, the, can I can I jump in? Yes, yes you can. Uh, the the warriors 
for our environment have always been the people who live here. Um, you know, the the fishermen, the farmers, the the people who wanted to protect, you know, the salt ponds and the um, who raised the voices when they saw the changes. Um, this has been going on for, for decades, um, long before the establishment of sea. Uh, and, and I think that we, we just haven't identified it as environmental work, um, nor have we understood that, you know, the folks that for God knows how many years that live in Prophet and Clifton Hill that have organized, that have raised the concerns in their community, they're environmental justice warriors. And they've been doing the work for decades. Um, so it's, it's easy to, to try and point the finger or maybe the, the formal environmental organizations have in the past appeared to be um, non-local, non-black-led. Um, but the work is our work. This is our home, um, and and a lot of people have been doing the work for a long time. Jan, any closeout statements? Yeah, well, exactly what Frandell has said. I mean, the you know publicly or you know at some level, the environment has been branded or labeled for a long time as the you know the turtle lovers and the the forests you know tree huggers um and that's not the case and that's that's been part of the problem is that so many people have felt excluded from the environment when in in fact the you know as i mentioned in the beginning the environment is is not just those things it's the air it's the water it's the soil which affects every single one of us and so the environment isn't just in this box over here on the side it's something that we interact with every day yet not everybody has been included or or branded as an environmental um warrior when as friendel said um many people have been but without being you know officially recognized as such ladies i want to one Thank you for answering the call um, and coming on Analyze This 93.1 FM to talk to me, Summer Sibley Brown, who you talk to all the time, but it, with me wearing a much different hat. So just thank you so much for joining us this morning. And, and you know, I hope that this conversation has elevated and, and edified someone today. Um, so thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, look forward to speaking to you all again soon. And if you're available, go check out Chant in Fredericksted. Sea is in Gallows Bay. No Man's an Island will be at the Ag Fair tent tomorrow. And what I can say is research, 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 right? Go to Bennington College. Go to the EPA website. Look up these things for yourselves, right? Don't take our word for it. Don't take Jen's word for it. Don't take Frandell's word for it. This is an NPR station and we're about education. Go educate yourselves and, and you know, find your space um, in this work. I want to um, also just a quick pivot as we're winding down to let y'all know it is still early voting. It is still early voting up until October 31st. So you have the chance to to exercise your right to vote. 
um, so that come January, you can begin holding people accountable, but exercising your right to vote. And in that, the election system, the Board of Elections, they have extended the hours for voting. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, voting will be, early voting will be extended till 7 p.m. Okay, listen closely. So right now, you, you know, you're seeing it advertised from 9 a.m. to 6. It is actually beginning Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So early voting is open all weekend. You have up until Monday the 31st to get in there and do it. And you get to go till 7 p.m. So please, um, you know, we heard about health care this morning. We heard about policy. We heard about voicing our vote. We heard about, like, economic disaster, health disaster, environmental disaster, and all of these things are affected by policy and choices and decisions and the values that we as an electorate represent. You know, Neville's been having me on. I have the privilege of being a guest host on The Candidate Speaks. You're hearing from those who seek your vote. Please go out early vote. And then if not November 8th, we are looking to see you in the booth voting your values. Um... I am Summer Sibley Brown. It's been a phenomenal week here with you, ending the week on a high note. This is Analyze This, WTJX 93.1. It's your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. And I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back next week, right? And next week we have more candidates. Um, you know, I think, I don't want to make I don't want to make an announcement too soon. I'll work on Monday, but as Neville will say, we might have the big dogs in the house. I try, I try my best to hold on to Iron Neville listeners. We might have a big dog in the house. Um, two big dogs, right? Hopefully I will get to interview the governor and the delegate. And um, that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. Um, have a safe and beautiful weekend. And thank you for listening to me this morning on Analyze This 93.1, filling in for Neville James. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. The Forum, a nonprofit organization since 1996, is proud to present the Hermitage Piano Trio. The Hermitage Piano Trio has received multiple Grammy Award nominations for performances that range in breadth from the works of the great European tradition to contemporary American pieces. The Hermitage Piano Trio will perform live at the Prior Jolly Hall on the Antilles campus Saturday, October 29th at 8 p.m. The courtyard opens at 7 p.m. with a live performance from a local classical trio and small meals, beverages, and desserts by Amalia Cafe. For more information, theforumusvi.org, 646-725-3353 or theforumusvi at gmail.com. Hey, son, how are you feeling? Um, uh, I'm fine, Pops. What's on your mind? I just, I can't explain it. 
When your kid can't find the language, find the lyrics. Start a conversation at SoundItOutTogether.org. Brought to you by Ed Council and Pivotal Ventures.